Man, let's, let's pick up God for our dance team again. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I like the fact that our team has different facets of what they do. So it's beautiful to see that Christ is always central. Um, today, we get a chance. Pray I keep my voice. Um, today, we get a chance to do our third annual uh, State of the Church Address. State of the Church Address is a, is a very, very, very important thing that we do once a year as a church um, because what we want to do is we want to assess where things are in general. Then once we assess where things are in general, look over some different things. I won't have as many stats as I did last time. But, 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 but then looking at where we are as a church and where we are going. So that doesn't mean I'm not going to be in the Bible. So I'm going to be in the Bible a whole lot. Um, but, but, but this time is always to kind of cast a vision for where the church is. I, I, I can, ever since I can remember sometimes being in a local church, <coughs> I didn't get a chance to, to know where churches were going, especially the one that I was in. And didn't really know a lot of times, you know, I know that we met on Sundays and I know we had Sunday school class. I know we had Wednesday night Bible study. They were all wonderful things. I know we had a uh, 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 Awana ministry on Friday night. You know what I'm saying? But, 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 but I was like, okay, what is all of this? Where is all of this taking us? I know that we, we at the time, we were going door to door. Where is all of this taking us? And so Epiphany Fellowship is a two-year-old church plant. Let me hear you say church plant. It's very important. That's kind of alien to many people's mindset of a church plant. And um, this marks two years and some months where we've been post-launch. And in light of that, year to year, even after we have um, gotten beyond what we would call the church planting aspect of the ministry of, of, of this part. Now, I'll kind of let you know when will we not be a church plant anymore and we'll just be kind of a fully planted church. That doesn't mean we're not a church, but that, th that means that a lot of things are under development. So today, I want you to turn your Bibles as a springboard for this to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When you look at chapter 11, Paul is challenging God's people about his apostleship because their relationship to his apostleship would show them or show him whether or not they were properly relating to the living God because he was kind of like a stand-in, if so to speak, as one of the apostolic uh, uh, members of God's council who he left on planet Earth to start some things. And one of the big things that, that Paul did was he was a church planter. Paul planted scores and scores and scores of churches throughout Asia Minor and throughout southern, south, uh, western Europe, and some believe even in northeast Africa, uh, northwest Africa. And, and Paul um, is talking to one of his churches, the church uh, of, uh, of Corinth, uh, who are going through an identity crisis. And so as Paul was ministering to the Corinthian church, he begins talking to them about things that weighed him down. <laughs> he says in verse, he says in verse 23, 
He says, he says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I am a better one. He says, I'm not talking like a, I, he said, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. 39 times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Listen to what he says next, though. And he says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. One of Paul's greatest trials in his mind was not him getting stoned. One of his greatest trials was not being left hungry and cold and shipwrecked. Those weren't his greatest challenges. His greatest challenge was his anxiety and passion to see the church healthy. One of the most important things for every church is that it must assess whether or not it is healthy. See, Paul's anxiety was, is shown in how he's weighed down, especially in the fact in how he wrote the churches. One of the big things that Paul would do is he would write the churches in response to horrible things that they were even involved in or places in which they were in their spiritual walk. And so, and so Paul here shows that his desire to see the church grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, not just as individuals, but as a group, a whole group of people to see them spiritually healthy, to see them holding to the scriptures, to see godly homes, to see them doing evangelism and missionally engaging the culture, to continually seeing them reflect the cross of Christ, to continue to see them keep Christ at the center and have booming prayer lives and not be pulled away on some agony and some mess. He wanted them to be as close as possible and moving forward in great development of biblical health as possible. And so his greatest anxiety was where is the church in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He sends uh, Timothy, I'm, first, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he sends Timothy to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. And he sends him there to look at where their faith was. In verse 3, you'll see it. In verse 5, you'll see it. In verse 8, you'll see it. And in verse 11, you'll see it. And you'll see Paul saying, the reason why I sent Timothy back to Thessalonica in my stead is because I wanted to see how you all were spiritually doing. And so as we dive into this state of the church address, it's a very important address for us because we get to assess things where they are, look at our 20-year vision, and then say, what are the strategic measures that we're taking biblically to move forward um, on that track? And so you can start, you can show, oh, I, I guess I'll start rolling those slides. And so 
you see even in the Corinthian church, you see Paul's passion for the church. You'll see spiritually gifted but spiritually immature. The state of their church is they were extremely gifted, but they were extremely spiritually immature. <clears throat> You'll see Paul talk about the state of the Thessalonican church. They were spiritually and theologically beasty. Let me get some more water, please. They were spiritually and theologically beasty. I'll grab this one. They were spiritually and theologically beasty, but check it out. But naturally uh, negligent. In other words, they had all of that biblical knowledge, but they were lazy. And so one of the things that we want to do biblically is we want to make sure that we're properly seeing ourselves because many people, many of us only view ourselves based on that side of the equation, not this side of the equation. And so what happens is, is when you are blind to spiritual immaturity and naturally neglectful or negligence, then you'll begin to inflate your view of yourself based on a limited understanding of your comprehensive Christianity. And so, and so it's very, very important when we talk about the state of the church, us talking about this is nothing new. Paul did that regularly. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus did it in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. He talked to each one of those local churches or churches within that city <coughs> at the time about their state. And it's very important that we think rightly about ourselves. We want to be able to view our strengths as a church. And we want to be able to view our weaknesses. And we don't want to wallow in our weaknesses. We want to utilize the cross to get beyond our weaknesses and see God's strategic goals and where he wants us to go. Y'all with me? And so the church, so, so as we look at things, let's look at it on a more broader scale. Thank you. <coughs> and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually dive into the idea, of just, the idea of where church planting is right now. Right now, um, there's a large church planting boom in the United States. Um, I can't tell you how many calls we get and how many emails we get about people that want to plant churches and, and like we know what we're doing, and they call us and um, trying to get advice, you know, and I think God has graced us in some ways, but we have a long way to go. And a lot of people are wanting to plant churches, so there's been a large church planting boom. Now, when we look at that, we, we not only see the church planting boom, but church planting movements are mainly white-led and white-supported. Now, let me explain what I mean by that before our white brothers and sisters don't walk out on me. Just listen to, listen to what I'm about to say. Um, most of the church planting movements, most of the church planting movements in America have been white. Most of the church planting movements that we're a part of, we're part of a group called Acts 29. 99, not about 98% of Acts 29 is white. <laughs> it's, and and it's, it's one of the fastest growing church planting movements in America. Um, but just because that's a fastest-growing church planting movement doesn't mean there aren't churches being planted. As we survey the United States, there are very few ethnic minorities planting churches. That's not a good thing. And, and, and so what's happening is, is even the ethnic minorities that I know of, I call all of the, I call all of the black dudes that I know I, that are planting churches. And I asked them, I said, who's supporting you financially? What, what are the ethnicity of the churches? And he said, white. And, and, and that, 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 that burdened me. 
that burden me. Because there is a great revival of sorts going on of church planting and ethnic minorities as of yet haven't been in on that movement. <clears throat> but our inner cities and our cities are in the greatest needs among those ethnic minority communities for solid biblical teaching um, beyond emotionalism. Amen. And, 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 and so, and so I, we, we find ourselves, <laughs> many of us, and, and, and it seems like, and, and even for us at, at Epiphany Fellowship, you know, most of our donors, most of our donors are white donors from large, larger white um, uh, churches, either denominational or network oriented. And we're thankful for those. We're not like going to send the money because it came from white people. We're not going to do that. But, but we are saying, what's going on in America What's going on in America that there's such a great need? We don't need more people to just say a word. We don't need no more revivals during the week. We don't need no more five-night revivals. We don't need no more five-night VBSs. We don't need no more of that. We need people that can not just be itinerant, but can be more zoomed in and local to be able to develop more comprehensive community health. And, and, and so we're in a dire strait right now. I mean, I mean, the, the, the church is going to live on until Jesus comes back. <laughs> However, we have to be very intentional about what our role is going to be as a church in this process. Church planting. Listen, and let's check this, check this out. Most church planting among ethnic minorities is a wing of existing mainline denominations or networks. So you'll see the mainline denomination or the large network will be mostly white. But then there'll be a wing of it that says African-American church planting. And there'd be like two dudes in it. Then Latino church planting. Um, you know, like if you had Epiphany, though, we, we got so many, you know, people that are interracial. We're going to have to have some interracial church planting. Amen. So, you know, we got a lot of interracial marriages. And so, you know, we may need some interracial dudes planting churches. But you know what I'm saying? So, um, so, so but it's crazy. But, 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 what we're, but what we're running into, what we're running into is these are some of the issues nationally that we're running into. <clears throat> and so that's going to lead to a mantle for us. Because um, I want us to be like Paul in this passage. You know, I want us to have a burden for not just North Philly. I want us to have a burden. I think the gospel demands that we have a comprehensive burden. For not just North Philly and our circle of influence, but globally, we must have a passion. And it must be not just for black folk. It must not just be for Latinos. It must not be just for whites. It must be a comprehensive passion. And so we all have to be on board with this. And this is where church, where we're thinking through and where we're going. Now, these are some sexy terms that are losing their savior. These sexy terms right now. It's sexy. I'm missional. That's sexy right now. <coughs> that's, that's real sexy to talk about I'm reformed. What that, what that mean? What it mean? You reformed according to the God. What that mean? I'm a five-point Calvinist. That's not all. Reformed is way broader than that. Way broader than that. And, and, and so, you know, these are, everybody's reformed, everybody's missional, everybody's talking about community now. 
community, 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 community. And so the and that's good, that's good. But the, what happens is, is with overusage, without in-depth application, it only becomes a fad. And so we as Christians got to make sure that our application of biblical truth keeps these things in style. We keep it in style even if nobody else doing it, though. So it's sexy to be missional. It's sexy right now to be reformed. It's sexy right now to be in community. It's sexy. If you ain't Christ-centered, you ain't really doing it. I remember when that wasn't, when, when you was Christ-centered, you was put on blast. <coughs> now you can't get invited nowhere without being Christ-centered. So I guess everybody's Christ-centered right now. So we'll wait a couple of years and see what happens. Talking about the local church. Oh, I've always been down on the local church. Oh, no, you wasn't. You was cussing out the local church around the corner. Okay? So ecclesiology using ecclesiology. What's ecclesiology? Oh, I'm glad you asked. You know, ecclesiology is the, you know, is the. <laughs> urban. Urban. All my brothers, all my brothers, shout out to all my brothers in the suburbs, man. Look, all my brothers in the birds, man, they be feeling bad. They said, they said, Pastor E, sometimes, man, we feel like a soul in the city is better than a soul in the suburbs. I said, no, nah, soul is a soul. I said, but I do like the city. But, um, but, but, but as I was talking to, as we're thinking about this, it's cool to be urban. It's cool to be in the city. Um, it's cool to wear tight jeans with boots, uh, with your jeans tucked into your boots and a tight uh, hoodie on with a blazer. You know what I'm talking about. It's just cool right now. All oh, that's cool right now. All oh, that's cool. So all oh, that's sexy right now. But but the question, the question I want to see, and what's going to what's going to see, what's what's going to really stamp us, <coughs> is is this just a fad for us? Is it just a fad for us to be missional? Because these are the things that should cause godly zeal and godly anxiety, not unbiblical anxiety, but being missional, being reformed. In other words, the gospel is the center of everything. That's the center of what it means to be reformed. The gospel is the center. Everything starts with God, not man. God does everything, and only reason why we can do it is because he started us to doing it. That's, that's the center of what it means to be reformed. Some of y'all run into other stuff, but that's the center of it. Community. That shouldn't be a fad. First John chapter 1 says that is the lifestyle of the Christian church. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verses 14 through 17 said that's the lifestyle of the church. <clears throat> when we talk through these things. Also, Second Peter chapter 1 uh, verse, about the, about, about the uh, seventh verse says the same thing. Christ-centeredness should not be a fad. It should be a part of the lace of the matrix of your life. It shouldn't just be cool, and now that's what you put on your Facebook page. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all funny, though. I, I've been checking y'all out. Some of y'all funny, funny, funny. We'll get to that later on in the message, though. We won't get to that. We won't get to that. Ecclesiology. The centrality of the church being Jesus' main tool to make himself known on planet Earth should not be a fad. Amen. Planting in, ur in urban environments and cities so that you can reach regions is a biblical philosophy from Genesis to Revelation. Should not be a fad, right? So we don't want these to become sexy terms to us. 
We want them to be terms that are part of our matrix and our DNA. But, you know, it's hard for us in Philly, you know what I'm saying? Folks scared of Philly. You know, a lot of people like us online, but they don't want to move here, you know? <laughs> and some of y'all are ready to graduate, so y'all can get out of here. I ain't mad at you. But, you know, because Philly grimy. It is grimy in Philly. It's grimy. But I love it. It's grimy, though. <laughs> it's grimy. Housing market. If you're going to buy something, you got to fix it up. It's something wrong with almost every house I went to see when I was looking for a house. So, I mean, that, I mean that, that's about jobs. It's rough in Philly. We got more empty factories than Detroit. Drive up, just follow the L. Drive your car up the L or ride a bike if you got the leg strength. And look at all, some, yeah, but go, go and just ride and you'll see all of the empty factories by the waterfront communities. Port Richmond, Kensington, West Kensington. Um, all of those different areas, you'll see all those areas, and, be, and, and, and it's, it seems like an empty populace. And the, and the, the, we're indigenously blue-collared, so therefore the real good jobs in Center City can only be gotten by white-collar professionals. And so the job market is challenging here. And then they're pioneering challenges. If you said you're going to be a part of Epiphany, your Christian life was doing real good. Then you came here. Then challenges. So there are mad pioneering challenges uh, to being here. We're not just talking about, we're, we're talking about specific pioneering challenges in relation to being a missionary to this city. <coughs> so the state, what's the state of epiphany? We're two years post-launch, but four years in, in the church planting seasons. Let me explain that. We're doing something called seven seasons of church planting. And with the seven seasons of church planting, there's seven seasons that it takes a church to get to the point where it's not in the planting phases anymore. Well, what has happened is, is where we are now, technically, is four years ahead. But the challenge, though, is, is there are a lot of challenges that come with that. Even though we're two years past launch and four years in, we've gone from the, um, the, uh, the uh, preparing season to the uh, uh, to the. Uh, yeah, the preparing season to the gathering season to the development season, and now we're in what's called the mentoring season, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. <coughs> but we don't have the organizational depth of four years. And so now we're in a place where we need infrastructure. Say infrastructure. Yeah, that, that means we got to get, uh, we ain't getting corporate, but we're going to get organized. All right? And, and so the, not having the organizational depth of four years financially behind where we are numerically. We fluctuate between 350 and 550 on Sundays. But as we've grown numerically, <coughs> our offering hasn't changed in a year and a half. And that's a challenge for us. And, and that, that shows us um, a lot of different things that's going on in the church that needs to be developed um, infrastructure-wise and commitment-wise that we're going to have to biblically deal with and we're going to have to dive into as a church if we're going to biblically survive. Because <clears throat> we can't have, we can't have that. We can't be financially the same because the more people come, the more people come, the more issues all of us bring, the more needs we bring, and guess what that creates the need for? More ministries that need to be developed. But guess what ministry needs? Money. 
Now, I ain't going to say money comes to me and no craziness, but it, ministry does take money. And so when you grow numerically without that financial depth, it creates a curve of a lack of health. And so then people begin to burn out service-wise. We financially begin to burn out. And so we want to make sure that this is not the place that we're in. Leadership trained uh, and, and based on numbers don't reflect our growth curve. So technically, and I'm going to walk through our strategy for all of this, <coughs> but these are the anxieties or the, or the burdens of the church. Our, our goal really is, is, is on the front end of things is to have one elder per 100 people. One elder per 100 people. To have realistic shepherding going on. If you got 2,000 people with one pastor, there, you, it can't be shepherding going on. And so what we want to do is we want to get the leadership depth and our leadership quota up, just like they did in Acts 6. Strong ethnic diversity on Sunday only. That's a, that's a bit of a challenge for us. That's a bit of a challenge for us. Because the diversity that you see in this room on Sunday is only like this on Sunday. But in small groups and in other serving areas, it's really not ethnically diverse. Most people, when they come to Epiphany Fellowship during the week, think we're a black church. With a few sprinkles of people of different ethnicities. And so this is a challenge that we have to talk through as a church and we have to face to talk through what is it going to look like for us to get beyond people that like attending but aren't practicing life together with us. That's a very important thing that we must look at. We have staffing needs. <coughs> we probably need 10 full-time staff right now, but we can only bring on two this year. And so that's another big need. Don't get too depressed. We're going to get to the good stuff. But I got to lay all this out so you can feel what I feel. Amen. I'm letting y'all in on it. <laughs> now, this is one of our greatest needs. We need some gutsy 40-plus people, 40-plus-year-old people, who are spiritually and naturally mature to pour out their lives. See, see, I'm not saying you 40 plus and you've been in the church for a long time. That's not what we're talking about. I came on Christian experience. We're not doing that. We're not talking about that. Y'all remember how you get in front of the church and some people come up, then they had a person that want to join the church, and then you got the person that got saved, and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brother Man, you come on Christian experience, and we don't know what that means. So, 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 so we're we not doing that. We're not doing that. Because every community of faith you go to, you're going to have to develop community credibility. If people don't look up to you, no matter how old you are, they're not going to want to be mentored by you. And so we need some gutsy ones. Some people that ain't scared of the fact that, that, that guys um, got hats on during the gathering. We need, we need some gutsy people that when some cats coming off the street smelling like weed, but they're in here. That you're gutsy enough not to say, baby, now we're going to get you some coffee to get you straight. Because... Let them come on in, smelling like weed. <clears throat> in other words, we have to have some gutsy 40-plus-year-old people who are desperately in love with Jesus and not just coming to church to get something, but to give something. You know, and, and, and for the most part, most of us who've grown up in the church have been the minority. 
So now here at Epiphany, it's kind of everybody under 40 is the majority. And so it's a challenge, of course, for 40-plus-year-olds to kind of dive into the matrix of the congregation because it's like, dang, my friends is going to be like the 20-year-old cat that lit down the street. You know what I'm saying? Ain't, ain't got nothing but a cell phone bill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Eating oodles and noodles and going to the corner store for dinner. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's going to be my friend. Right, we got some old, we got we got some forty plus year old saints here that are in, that can be in community with you. <laughs> but but if you come here, you have to come with your hands open, not closed, because <clears throat> that's going to be our greatest challenge: is to see intergenerational integration. And that's the most I haven't seen it biblically done yet. And, and I'm, I can't wait to see God develop us with intergenerational uh, uh, lockings like God calls the people to in Haggai chapter 1 verses, Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. So systemic need for us. <laughs> we need community shalom. Say community shalom. That's very important. Community meaning koinonia, the way in which Christ binds believers together. Shalom is the way that God binds everything back to himself. The Bible says, now the Bible's a funny book. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it said, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. Because even the Bible knows some people just, <laughs> the Bible like, I know, I know, but if all possible, <laughs> But we need some if at all possible people here. We need some people that have a vision of what God wants things to look like when we're on one accord with him and on one accord with one another. And so there are two systemic things that we have to have as a church here. How to deal with conflict biblically. How to deal with conflict biblically. Most of us get mad at somebody and they go tell somebody else we mad at that somebody that we should have talked to in the first place. But if that keeps happening, cancer develops. Because if you got everybody talking to everybody else about somebody that they're frustrated with, then everybody's view of the somebody that you should have went to in the first place develops a cancerous view of them and, and then we don't seem them as redeemable in the community. And so what we have to begin to do is deal with conflict biblically. So right now, all of the guys that are in the leadership track, I got a few men that's in the leadership slash elder slash deacon track right now. And, and, and we're taking them through several things. And one of the first books we gave them uh, uh, was, was The Peacemaking Pastor. And they're going through it. All of our leaders, our 30-plus leaders that meet on first, second Tuesdays, they're going through um, uh, um, Peacemakers. And then in the fall, we are going to launch peacemaker series within our small groups because I think we know how to get information but I don't think we yet know how to relate to one another with that information and so the issue is is not just us knowing how to deal with one another conflict but if you don't know how to deal with biblical conflict you can't deal with spiritual warfare because that's crazy conflict you can't deal with worldly conflict and so God wants us to fight for what it means to go deep <laughs> and because we've been yelling being missional, that's been great. 
Many of you have been leading massive amounts of people to Christ. People have been coming to Jesus over the last few years. Half of our covenant community class out of, out of 55, about 25 plus of them were new Christians. And that's great. However, now we need to, as we do evangelism and as we become missional, we need to know how to go deeper with peacemaking. Peacemaking with one another, peacemaking within our finances, peacemaking within our home, peacemaking in your singleness, peacemaking with your family. Because some of you all, Epiphany Fellowship is an escape from your family. And God is going to call you back to talking to them about some stuff, dealing with them on some stuff. But you can't go to the family reunion with your Bible open beside the potato salad, the big one. And, and like lay several Bibles and write different translations on the table. And sit at the, and get on your hands and knees, you know, and go in prayer on the, on the, no, no, no. That's not peacemaking. That's not peacemaking. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all, y'all, we got some crazy evangelistic techniques in the family. That's why everybody be talking over there. And you wonder why you lonely at the family reunion. And so, <laughs> so we got to learn how to peacemake biblically. You know what I'm saying? Some of us got to deal with some deep past issues. I, I've never seen as many people, maybe I've never been in the church. I've been in, in, in the church for years and years and years. I haven't seen as many people as in this congregation that has a lot of past issues. Every one of you have booming potential biblically because of Christ. But many of us are hamstringed because we won't let Jesus deal with our past. And so if you're not at peace with you, how are you going to talk to somebody about the peace they need? Or somebody ought to hear me. And so I'm praying, I'm praying that God gives us the grace for God, because some of us are bitter and snap, and everything is read through the funnel of our past frustrations and bitterness. And so what Jesus has to do within us through this process is work us through that stuff so that we may be biblical peacemakers. You can't be a biblical peacemaker until God has made peace in you. Because it, 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 all, your, all, your, all your peacemaking attempts is going to be snappy. But the Lord love you. He did it for me. He can do it for you. <laughs> Lead praise and worship. Let everybody be silent. The Lord is in the holy temple. You know, it's like, you're angry. What's... I don't think you're in the spirit right now. You ain't... You, you know what I'm saying? So, <coughs> peacemaking. <coughs> and it's funny, but peacemaking is... I ain't saying nothing about you, Tiff. You, you always sweet, sister. <laughs> You know, Tim always smiling. Bless the Lord. I like the way you leave worship. So, so dealing, with, dealing with conflict biblically. But also one of the other things that we, as an anxiety of a piff, is matriculation challenges. What do I mean by that? People, we're, we're, we're confused in some ways in how, <coughs> and, and that means infrastructure, more infrastructure is needed, is how people are funneled into service how people are funneled into relationships, how people are funneled into small how, how do we work through all of that? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But these are specific things that are hamstringing us from being able to move forward. Peacemaking ability and clarity on how to move through the ministry. Does that make sense? Um, I think we're missional. I think we, that's one of our greatest strengths. We are missional as all get out. 
I think that's one of our greatest strengths. I do think one of our greatest weaknesses is relationships with one another and organization. And so you can be as missional as you want to. Ask the early church. But in chapter 6, they had to get some structure. They were sharing the gospel. Thousands of people were coming, but they didn't have no structure. (coughs) And it became a frustration. And we don't want being missional to become a frustration. We want to continue to be able to do it. So, (coughs) this is what we said before Epiphany Fellowship launched that we visualized. And these are some beautiful things that Jesus has done. These are things, we wrote this down five years ago. This five-year-old information. And, and, and this is interesting what God has done. We visualize people loving one another based on a biblical understanding of love, a solid and sound community of people who live out the good news about Jesus Christ through both life and lips. People who are committed to serving others in spite of life's circumstances. Balancing the belief in theology with the doing of theology. The church of Jesus Christ regaining community, credibility, and impacting the overall kingdom of Christ. Seeing Jesus Christ, his gospel, and his kingdom lifted high through seeing people's lives noticeably redeemed on every level. People of different ethnicities, five years ago, submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and in turn becoming indigenous missionaries to the hip-hop slash eclectic generation globally. Eclectic mean those who don't have as many cultural boundaries as most people have. We visualize a kingdom-driven church planting movement in the northeast United States and selected foreign countries. Indigenous uh, leaders being raised up in major urban centers. Community redevelopment that benefits the indigenous populace of Philadelphia. Cross-generational and cross-ethnic reconciliation. Lost young adults, both single and married, passionate and productive in the kingdom of Christ. People in our target area walking to church. These were things that we saw as signs of redemption. Every one of those things on some level is being done in a seed state somewhere throughout this ministry. (laughs) And so we're excited that God is keeping us on tap to seeing this vision come to pass. Because we don't believe this is our vision. We believe this is a vision that God God has. Now, the question is now for us, how are we going to organize all of that? I know we, we, we stated some problems. We talked through all of those different things. But what we need to do now is we need to talk organizationally as a church. How are we going to begin to organize and strategically develop all of the things and based on where we are? Now, everything ain't going to be done overnight. Let me, can I say that again? Everything not going to be done overnight. Let me, let me, let me, let me say that. You have to re- recognize, see, a lot of people, what happens is they come to Epiphany. They see we got a building. They see we got a band with multiple brass instruments, amen, and, and, and drummers all over the place and nine keyboards with uh, air, then praise and worship. And they see lights and they see bathrooms and they see rugs and they, they see all of that. And people think we're farther along than we are. And so they expect us to be a 20-year-old established church, not realizing that we are a two-year-old church plant. 
And so what people are going to have to do as you come in, those of you who are going to be in the next coming community class, you're going to have to develop a church planning understanding of Epiphany Fellowship. Does that make sense? Because what happens is, I'm not saying let's not hold us to standards. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there are things that don't exist right now that need to exist one day. That's why God sent you here. Don't come, if you come here and start getting angry and snappy about what's not here, pray for us. And then put your hand to the plow. <laughs> that, and, so, and, so, and so we got so many people who've gone through covenant community who, who have, and we're about to evaluate our covenants. And I'm just telling you, all of, you signed off on something to do certain things. And we're going to be calling each one of y'all if you're not keeping covenant in some way. Calling your house. You're going to hear me on the phone. Hello, this is Pastor Mason calling your house. I see that only three of the, I'm, 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 I'm going to call you. We're going to call you. We're going to talk to you, love on you. Just like Manny said, we're going we're gonna to say signs of grace first. We're going to say we thank you um, for how you've been coming. <laughs> Let me see. Um, thank you that you. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm not going to do you like that. But, but, but we are, are going <laughs> we, to encourage, but then we're going to say, look, we really need you to come in. And this is, this is the issue. This is not a place where you can be where you can just chill. You can't chill here, family. I'm just telling you, we expect, we don't expect anybody to just be an attender. We, that, that's not even an expectation. Oh, they come. That ain't enough. We need desperate help. And so we, if somebody talks to you about the fact that you're not doing nothing, don't get mad. Just repent. And say, where can I plug in? <laughs> Amen. I'm going to keep going. Too convicting. So normal timeline. <laughs> so normal timeline of the preparing season. Here it is. The preparing season of a church plant takes 6 to 12 months. The gathering season <laughs> takes 6 to 12 months. The development season takes uh, 1 to 2 years. Now, most church plants max this, out, max this out unless they are a well-supported suburban plant that comes in with five full-time staff. Now, we didn't have that blessing, all right? So, um, but what happened is, is that even though we weren't where we could have been financially, God's grace is so heavy on us that we jumped from here to here and then here to here. Right, We were here right after launch. So we were, two, we were two years old on the first day of worship service, which that's a blessing, right? And so that's the normal timeline. And so, but this is what we need during this mentoring season process. Now, the mentor, I forgot to put it on here, but the mentoring season takes one to two years, okay? And this, and this is where deep needs are, are, are needed, and this is, where we're, this is where we're going strategically right now. In the development process, this is what you work on. You develop mentoring, leadership, philosophy, and strategy. I'm going to explain that. You develop mentoring process for healthy disciples. You develop a mentoring process 
for group and leader uh, uh, and ministry leaders. You uh, develop mentoring processes for elders and deacons. And you develop mentoring processes for church planters. And all of these we got to do like right now. These are major areas of infrastructure need. If we get these places filled, then we're going to be in a real strong and solid place of the church to be able to move biblically forward. Okay, let me work this out. I'll work that side. I'll work this side for y'all. All right. Developing mentoring leadership philosophy and strategy. So now we're going to biblically walk through what it looks like to do that. Okay? So number one, the body highlights solid people. In Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through uh, about fifth verse, your boy uh, Paul went into, uh, back to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby with, uh, with Barnabas, Silas, and some others. And a little dude, a little young boy named Timothy was hanging out, killing it to the glory of Jesus. And so when Paul, when Paul and his crew came back to Iconium, Lister, and Derby, the people say, it's a young dude you got to meet. His name is Timothy. He was a, I mean, he was a little cat knowing the scriptures. He knew the whole Pentateuch by heart. Um, but he became a Christian on your last visit, and we'll say in Acts 14, right? That's when Timothy trusted Jesus. And so between Acts 14 and Acts 16, Timothy made major leaps and bounds in the Christian faith, submissive to leadership, serving, growing, getting, uh, uh, based on memorization, getting in his Bible, and, and very heavily involved in the local church. <clears throat> and because of that, the body began to look at Timothy in a certain way. And because of that, Timothy was held in high regard even as a young, 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 young cat. He was already young in, in, when Paul, at the end of Paul's life when he wrote back to him. But he was real young. And Timothy was so beastly in the Christian faith, both theologically and practically, that Paul said, I got to have this young dude with me. And the hard part about it is he circumcised him. I don't know how he worked through that, but he's committed. <laughs> Amen, fellas? Dude's like, uh, they couldn't even say yeah. <laughs> and so the body, and so, so what we need to do as a church, <clears throat> as a local community, is we got to begin highlighting solid leaders. That means you need to come to the leaders and say, Pastor E, um, when, when Pastor Deuce comes, Pastor Deuce, and as Manny gets put up, Pastor Emmanuel Lambert, that sounds good, don't it? Claybone. You got a ring to it? <laughs> so, so, um, it's, man, it's, a, man, so-and-so has a real, because y'all always tell us who got a bad reputation. Like, tell us who got a good reputation sometimes. Ah, Pastor, you got to talk to so-and-so. I need to know who's doing something good and something right. And so y'all got to come to us and say, look, I think is so-and-so being considered for eldership or is so-and-so considered being considered for um, being a deacon? Is so-and-so being considered to lead a ministry? <clears throat> I really want to hear that about more men. I mean that about a lot of sisters, about leadership. Now, here we do not do female elders. So not because we're sexist, but because the Bible tells us not to. Amen. I know somebody about to walk out right now. <laughs> All right. And so highlighting people, but women do lead in different facets. We're going to talk about that. 
So we're not like this church to say women can't do nothing but wear hats and fold their legs and say uh, amen under their breath. That's not, that's not what we are. Okay? The body brings, okay, the body bring, bring possible leaders to the attention of the elders. This is the process. <coughs> Come to leadership if they're invited. Training. Don't just be showing up at leadership. Don't, if, I, if nobody asked you to come, that's not for you. So don't show up tomorrow. Yeah, boy, sure glad to be in the room. Like, nah, fall back until God exalts in his own time. First Peter chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Amen. So I'm just letting you know. You show up, um, I'm just telling you. So, so and, and, this, and I say this in a loving way. And, and another thing, let me, let me just make sure I, I clarify this. At Epiphany Fellowship, even if you were an elder or a deacon at another church, it doesn't transfer to Epiphany Fellowship. And the reason why we do that is not because we think we are that. But we don't know what their process was like. And so if you come over as an elder, they might not have even talked about 1 Timothy 3. And so if, if we don't know that, and so what we'd like to do is see if people will look at you like that here. Now, if they don't look at you like that here, that's probably not going to happen in this season. But that's not us. Feel me. We're not trying to be mean and arrogant. We just got to make sure that, that there's not cancer in our leadership structure. And people begin to diffuse. We don't, I don't have associate pastors. He's not my assistant. Pastor Brent, elders are co-equal men who take responsibility for leading the congregation. They're not my guys. They're God's elders. Okay? And, 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 so, and, and so even though I lead those group of men, I submit to them. So I can't wild out. I didn't mean to talk about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I can't wild out. I can't go get a side chick and tell them keep it on the down low. And to keep the church going, they keep me preaching. They sit my butt down. Or, or tell me you can never elder again and send it out on the Internet with my picture. You're welcome to be a disciple or a Christian if you're one the way you just was acting. That goes for me. So I'm just saying, y'all, this is very important. I know I'm getting into our ecclesiology series, but this is very, very important for us because inner city churches are notorious for having some jack-legged cats that can say it but can't do it. Oh, I wish I had time. Because we think that people in the inner city don't need a certain level of a pastor because they poor, because they college students, because they ain't got a certain level of education. So they can take an uneducated, non-Jesus-loving whore. See, that ain't, that ain't biblical. Everybody across the world, whether it's a third world country or a city suburbs, biblically deserve qualified male leadership. Even if they got 20 people, they, just because they got 20 people don't need, they, they need a jack, that, 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 no, I don't send just some jack, that cat in there. That's a whole nother conversation. So, so leadership training and training, a meeting monthly. I'm training a group of guys right now beyond leadership, <coughs> beyond um, 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 first, second Tuesday leadership meetings and they're going to be helping me in a lot of facets helping the church in a lot of facets 
And I'm I, like, when we first started the Pivoting Fellowship, I, I used to, you know, um, disciple a group of guys, about eight or nine guys. We used to go um, on, on um, right here on Susquehanna and meet and stuff like that. But in this phase of pastoring, I can't disciple uh, new believers. I need to disciple leaders right now. So I need leaders who can disciple new believers and young believers and code one and code two and code three crisis issues go through life coaching. So that means that those things won't come to us at this point because in order for Epiphany Fellowship to move forward, we have to be able to be able to preach, develop curriculum, teach, plant churches, and develop leaders. That's, that's where we are right now. That's very important. And that doesn't mean that's grunt work. That is, that, I'm not saying that's grunt work. But that means that we, because we're a body and we have multiple gifts, that means I can't be Moses. And I know I'm not. <clears throat> Y'all will see a stressed out dude, you know, chain smoking if, you, if I act like Moses. And I'm not Moses. And because I trust Jesus and I don't want to go back to old habits, I got to give up stuff. Amen. So, so look, look, that's why a lot of pastors burn out because they don't give nothing away. They don't trust nobody with nothing. I'm not saying I'm better. I just know that I'm not good enough, too. I'm not that good. I can't play quarterback, linebacker, play on special teams, throw the ball to myself, catch the ball, get tackled, get back up, call plays, look at the coach. I can't do all that. And I'm not. Hallelujah. Bless Jesus. So, so, have a ministry built around gifts and passions of trained leaders. Now, I know my leadership, my leaders, y'all have heard that already, but, but this is what we do. In other words, when you come to Pivoting Fellowship, we have systemic ministry that every church should have that people have to serve in. <clears throat> but ideally, God tells a church what they need to do based op upon the gifts talents and wiring of people that God has brought their way. So for us to be trying to start a certain, a, a, a certain type of ministry here that wouldn't be kind of indigenous to like, we got a lot of social workers. So the question is, is going to be next phase. How do we mobilize these social workers with gospel centered philosophy of life and theology to be able to utilize their social work gifting to permeate in a gospel centered way, this area. And so we got to think through those different things as we do that. And so, um, and then each current leader has an apprentice that shows, uh, uh that, that shadows them. So every leader that is in place right now, you got to be reproducing yourself. Every leader, uh, must reproduce themselves. Now, if a church is going to be a growing church, you got to reproduce yourself. Uh, when a church stops growing, reproduction stops. But usually the church stops growing because there was no reproduction. And so, and so I, we believe that a church should grow both in depth and numerically. We believe that's biblical. Not one or the other. It's both and. It's both and, even if people are sent out. So process of development, a mentoring process of healthy disciples. Training through the blueprint, which is in the works right now. For all, on, uh, for, for all becoming disciples, uh, disciple makers, having people become approved disciple makers, that means that you can't decide you got some young boys. You know what I'm saying? I got my young boy with me, and you need to be a young boy right now. You know what I'm saying? Because like, you're like an entourage, like you Jay-Z or somebody, and you need to be disciple. And so that means, <laughs> I'm just being serious, because you know we like it when people are around us, and you can say they with you. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but, but that means you, if you're doing that, that means you need to be a disciple in development. Now, we know we all disciples in development, but we talking about develop, develop disciple. 
<laughs> leadership team that trains and equips the body in various areas of disciple making. And so as we launch the blueprint, I don't want to overwhelm you with that, but that's going to be our teaching section of Epiphany Fellowship. And we'll talk to you more about that as the weeks go on. Um, developing process, mentoring process for small group and ministry leaders. So we're going to have on-site leadership training twice a quarter. So this is not just our second Tuesday leadership meeting. This is the larger trainings that we're going to do across the church for leaders um, and one off-site retreat per year. <clears throat> Next is developing mentoring process for elders and deacons, which we're doing now. Elders will mentor up-and-coming elders. So you can't go sit on another pastor and him train you to be an elder here. You need to let him train you to be an elder there. But here, we're training the elders to be elders here, unless they're going to be a church planner. Candidates are considered based on what they are doing versus what they want to be. Now, some people want to be, but you're not there yet. If you're not there yet, and this is going to be important, every person that's up for eldership or the diaconate or, or being a deacon will be brought before the congregation. And what's going to happen is, is you, you get to assess them. If there are any found issues that would impede upon their ability to play that role here, when that's almost somebody being perfect, but if something impedes upon that, then we have to ask that person to be removed from the track temporarily until those issues are dealt with, okay? <clears throat> and then they must be a covenant community member, must be, must be a covenant community member. We don't even think you're committed to Epiphany Fellowship until you've really gone through covenant community. That's very important to us. That's our membership class. Uh, develop a mentoring process for elders and deacons. Of course, elder will mentor. Up, oh, I already put that. What did I do? Okay. Develop mentoring pro process for elders and deacons. Will mentor unbecoming elders. Okay. First tier of deacons will be trained by the elder. After the first tier, the elders and deacons will serve in the training. Okay. De that, those are the ones who have been trained. Deacons are considered based on what they are doing, of course, um, versus who they want to be. Must be a CC a covenant community member. <coughs> Next, developing mentoring process for church planner. <coughs> We're going to develop two things, an internship program, residency program. We're going to have a guy that's going to be, that we're going to be announcing soon, that's going to be in our internship and residency program here at Epiphany Fellowship for planting a church in probably the next two years in Philadelphia. Um, and I, we'll be introducing you soon after some of the elders and us, we've talked to him and worked with him through some things, but he's coming. He's going to be coming on full time for that role. Um, all residents will raise their own salary. So they raise their entire salary and their funding and their support. Um, um, it's meant to be a full time role. Now that that must be a covenant community member. <clears throat> so we got one, one guy that's ready for this right now that we're going to be helping plant by God's grace in the region within two years plus. And so be in prayer about God's grace on that process. Developing mentoring processes for church planner, that, that's the internship program, same deal. Okay, mentoring season also demands that we have these, these are the groups of people that exist in the local church, especially here at Epiphany Fellowship. We need a lead pastor or first among equals that's within the community of the elders and deacons Leaders, residents, interns, church members, even though all of them are church members or covenant community members. Elders and deacon, current elders train, new elders and elders elect. Same with deacons. Leaders, same as we've said before. Church members, 
Church members will be trained by small group leaders, life coaching, regional elders, regional deacons, ministry leaders, and the one another, and through the one another. So I should have put an S on that. Small group leaders, we'll go through that as we talk through the pastoral reflection later. Now, this is the end, organizational structure. What you see here on both of these sides is our org structure. Epiphany Fellowship is led by elders. This is not a congregational rule congregation. So we're not going to be voting as a congregation on stuff. Okay? I'm just letting you know. We do do congregational consensus. If there's a sense from the congregation of something biblical or something concerning, then we as elders will make a decision to do or not to do that thing. But we don't have a congregational vote, split 60-40 and all that kind of stuff, and infighting and, and meetings and stuff like that. We don't do that. But we do. That, don't, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, though, that doesn't mean that we try to lord it over you guys, though. Okay? I don't think that that's why we have you sign a membership covenant, because the membership covenant has that. <laughs> but led by elders, led by deacons, non-ordained leaders, you'll see that in the Bible, and the congregation. Because everybody doesn't need to be ordained. Amen. So you can be minister or reverend. Amen. <laughs> so, so part of the elder team plays this role. These are the elder, this is the elder team role. It's visioning and ruling elders and shepherding elders. Now, all elders do shepherding. We're not going to have board members. We don't have a board here. We have a council. Okay? And so these guys, as a smaller group that's within the larger group, the elder team, <laughs> will make larger decisions with the lead pastor to help us to make visioning decisions, whereas the shepherding elders, which all shepherd in some way, so these not dudes just meet and making decisions, they do shepherd, but these guys spend the bulk of their time in the midst of the sheep, shepherding them through biblical issues, okay? Same thing. Now, the visioning team, they work on the church, uh, keep it focused on forward mission, shepherding elders. They work in the church, keeping the ministry going deep. So you see both. See, so you don't have an imbalanced elder team where everybody, we should go, go, go. We should buy land, buy land. But then you got the other guys that saying, no, we got a lot of issues in this congregation, and we need to, da, 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 da. and before we do all that, and then we say, well, nah, you're dealing with the issues. So, so it has to be some biblical connectivity between those leaders. <laughs> Same with deacons, mercy leaders and ministry leaders for the deacons. They work from the church, men who aid in the relief of outsiders, based on Matthew 23, 23. Ministry, work to the church, men who lead various ministry areas and facilitate body care, Acts 6. Lay leaders, those are those who develop the church and those who manage the church. If you have a bunch of visionary leaders without developers and managers, you're going to have a, a lot of people starting a lot of stuff that don't get finished. Because see, visionaries like to tell you where to go but don't know how to get there. We should just take the hill. And, and you know, the person that ain't wired like that, they're like, okay, which hill? How does it look? Um, how much does the hill cost? Um, you, you need some people like that. I went Naira in that. I ain't going to mess with you, Naira. I ain't going to mess with you, Naira. But that's what Naira is for us. That's what the stewardship team is for us. <clears throat> and so you need, you need developers. And developers, and developers are, are going to be that for us. And then you got managers. Managers. That's our lay leaders. 
Now, what the, man, what the developers are going to do is see it from point A to point B to point C to point Z, right? The managers, once the structure gets set in place, they plug in and they, and they keep it going so that the visionary leaders can revision things and the developing leaders can redevelop more stuff. But if that process isn't completed, we can't re-envision anything. So that means the church is only healthy as, as practicing as every member of the community is. This is very important. I hope y'all are seeing this. In the congregation, spiritual gifts, missional engagement. That's the congregation. <coughs> spiritual gifts, ministry to the church, not talents. Ministry gift to the church. Missional engagement is ministry from the church, which all of us, all of us in the congregation, we are all the congregation, even the deacons, even the elders, and even the non-staff office, I mean the non-office leaders office-holding leaders. And so the structure of Epiphany Fellowship is first and foremost, and even central, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. Now, Jesus is on our org chart. He's on the org chart. An org chart without Jesus at the church ain't an org chart. Right? Elders, deacons, congregation. These are ministry areas, 180, Titus Project, Worship and Creative Arts, Stewardship. Elders and deacons oversee each one of these. These are our ministry areas. <coughs> All of our main ministry areas of the church. Choose one. <laughs> Choose one and serve in it. I'm going to let you look at it for a minute. Choose one, serve in it. So that's all of the things that go under 180, Titus Project, Stewardship, Worship, and Creative Arts. 2009 opportunities. These are great opportunities, and then I'm going to close. I know that was, I know that was, this was just to kind of lay out, you guys, just kind of, it's always important once a year for us to do this, not as a business meeting, but as a congregational look at things, okay? And so... We want to support um, several students on short-term missions, um, mission trips. And so we've already began that process with some students, um, and we're excited about that. Some of our students have gone on um, to, to do that, and we're supporting them on missions efforts. Um, when we run out of money, um, you, we, we out. So if you got a mission trip, you better let us know. I'm just telling you because there's only a certain amount we can do per year for us. So if you're going at the end of the year, you better plan ahead, all right? Um, helping to start um, the church in Atlanta. <coughs> so we started supporting them this month. We're starting to support them this month, this month, this month. They're going to be here in the fall to preach and hang out. We're going to lay hands on them and love on them. And their whole core team is going to come up. It's going to be crazy as all get out. I can't, be, I can't wait. I'm just giddy about that. Um, um, regional church planting event in May. We're going to have 150 church planters right here in this building. And they are going to be um, knowing how to launch a church and then what to do after you launch. Because a lot of church plant stuff teach you how to launch, but it'll teach you what to do afterwards. Kind of had a first service, and the guy's like, okay, what next? So kind of want to walk them through that. Leave for the City Conference in September. It's going to be about 300 to 350 leaders here, right here, learning how to do ministry in the city. Um, and so it's going to be extremely, 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 extremely exciting year. These are kind of some of the bigger things that we're going to be doing and initiatives that we're going to launch. And 
going to be launching. But this is how, how things, this is where things are. This is where we're going. And so by God's grace, we're extremely, we're extremely encouraged by this. And so we want you to continue to keep this whole thing lifted in prayer. I'm going to post this. We'll have this posted on the Internet. So if you want to look at it, look through it, pray through it, <coughs> forgot it. You know, we want you to be able to get in that. We're going to be back into our normal teaching schedule by God's grace next week. <clears throat> but again, state of the church is to show where we are and where we're going based on how God is providentially working with us. If a person does not know the, um, how well their flocks and herds are doing, you're in trouble if you don't do any good godly assessment. One last announcement. As we start our stewardship series, once we finish First Peter, so I want you to get ready. We're going to talk about stewardship of everything. Everything. From your hair. No, I'm joking. We're going to talk about everything, though. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about everything. Stewardship of everything, not just money. This fall, we are going to have a, a stewardship conference. And it's going to be an entire weekend in October <coughs> where you're going to come as we're going through the series. You're not just going to hear and take notes. You're going to come in, our stewardship team and, and, and different groups within the church. We're going to have people here to help you work on your money. Amen. Some of us ain't do a budget in a long time. If you got to balance your checkbook, you're in financial trouble. You shouldn't have to balance it. It should already be balanced before you start spending. That's a whole nother, that's, that's, that's the class, though. And so, and so, and, and we're going to be talking about um, a, a 911 issues, life planning, some of us ain't playing nothing, ain't playing nothing, how to get a job, we're going to talk about that, what to do in dry seasons, and we're going to talk, and all of these things, how to study your Bible, how to develop a schedule, all of that's going to be, and it's going to be stewardship of everything, marital stuff, singleness stuff, how to be, a, how to steward the single life. All those things we're going to talk about that weekend, I'm telling you, it's going to be a great time for us to begin to work through, and it's going to be practically oriented during that weekend. It's not going to be just with the theology yet. We're going to talk about that during the stewardship series. We're going to get into the practical theology during that weekend. So it's going to be exciting, y'all. So I'm going to have to go. Love y'all. By God's grace, this is going to be a crazy, crazy year. It's already a crazy year. And I'm praying that Christ continues to give us massive amounts of grace to see this come to pass and to see us remain faithful to his mission and that God one of the greatest things that we can be is we can be healthy. We got to be healthy, y'all, on every single front of our lives. And we're praying that Jesus Christ would work every tool in our life to make sure we maximize the gospel as a tool in our hand and a tool in our hearts to be able to see the kingdom of Christ shine forth through redeemed lives. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that you show us